And again, this word hospitality for me is all encompassing. It's not just about, I was served this really expensive thing. It's how do I feel about myself after I sat here with this person? Who And who was I sitting with? And tomorrow when I go to work, am I still feeling those vibrations from the love, from the care, from the thoughtfulness? This is Taste. I'm your host, Eliza Barbanel. Devon Francis is a chef, recipe developer, and events producer based in Brooklyn. His culinary event studio, Yardy World, has developed a cult following around vibrant, lush experiences rooted in Caribbean cuisine, with some of the best vibes and playlists around. And now they're joining the CPG boom, too. It's a joy to have Devon in the studio to talk about his distinctive POV, starring in the second season of High on the Hog, his dream dinner party lineup, and more. Devon Francis, this is Taste. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel a little guilty because today is the first snow we've had in like two years in New York and it is the day that I made you come into Midtown. So thank you. I love a romantic New York moment. So I just saw it as like a way to experience the city. Yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. Are you going to like cook anything cozy in the snow now that when we're done? Uh, My sister's in town and she requested broth. So I'm going to make us uh, a little marrow broth moment. Whoa. Okay. So take me through briefly, what's your marrow broth approach? So I actually was just watching like a ton of different YouTube videos on, on broth and they all kind of say the same thing. So there's no real knowledge that I have to offer there. But what I like to do is I like to take chicken wings and, uh, carcasses and I'll just roast the shit out of them. Um, and then cook them down with onions and usually like kombu um, until it's like really delicious and juicy. And then usually what I'll do after that is I'll reinforce that. I'll I'll take that broth and I'll reinforce that with like three different types of mushroom. Mm. Um, and then I'll use and then I'll, I'll season that however I feel. So I'll make quarts of that, freeze it, and then heat it up and just add my seasoning as I go. Um, I've been really into just like really nice like fatty pork. Recently, um, I'm also on my like muscle journey. Your bulking so, journey. Yeah. I'm sorry for saying the word that you were clearly I was avoiding. To avoid it. <laughs> you you outed me. Sorry. No, it was good. It's good. Um, so yeah, anything that's like kind of like high in protein and like lots of like delicious greens. Oh my god, wait, can I talk to you about greens for two seconds? Yeah, uh, please, because uh, greens is all I want to talk about. Okay, good. I did not realize that kohlrabi greens are so fucking delicious. Right, now I'm racking my brain to think if I've ever exactly. had this before. Because I usually just trim them off when I'm making like a thin, delicious kohlrabi salad or something. But the greens are so tender and so delicious and sweet. Wow. Um, I was at the market last week and doing my meal prep stuff. And I was like, let's just see what she's giving. And she gave. Wow. So are you blanching it or eating it raw? What's the approach? I made, what did I do? I was sauteing shrimp um, with like guajillo, guindilla pepper, and urfa with coconut milk. And I just added the greens in at the last minute to sort of like sweat them down. Nothing crazy because the, the kohlrabi itself was already like a little baby. 
Um, so not woody at all, like really, really sweet and really tender. And they just like cooked down and like they wilted the color, got really magical. And I ate it and I was like, holy shit, no one ever told me this before. Wow. Okay. I don't actually cook kohlrabi at home very often, I would say. It kind of is intimidating to me, which is funny because I love vegetables so much. I feel like that's my core brand. Yeah. So if that's what you did with the greens, what did oh. you do with the rest of the kohlrabi? Um, I just, I'm making like a little uh, kohlrabi like carpaccio. Um, so it's, it's shrimp and kohlrabi. It's like, it's like pounded shrimp. And then I'll put like a blanket of like dressed kohlrabi on top of that. Mm. Um, okay. With, and dressed in like nice acid and zest. Okay. And you also said the word meal prep to me earlier. <laughs> also my bulking journey. Also your bulking journey, <laughs> which is also my new year's resolution is to oh, be doing God. more meal prep. Maybe okay. not to be bulking, but I should you know, I'm trying to get into the climbing gym more this year. So maybe it is also bulking. Oh, let's go. Do you go, where do you go? Uh, I've been going to Vital a little bit. That's near my place. Oh, we I, have to go. I feel like you're so much taller than me. So you're going to be able to get like everything, but I would love to go with you. Uh, it's, it's fun. I have friends who are like half my size who like scale That's true. walls. And I think it's, I think it's maybe harder for me actually, because mm -hmm. I'm taller. Maybe my girlfriend did say that I shouldn't make excuses about not being tall enough because <laughs> like, because you can see all kinds of people doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, but on the meal prep front, what does meal prep look like for you? I mean, it depends on the, on the week. I have tons of projects that I'm always working on. And the reason why I started was because I have been just trying to get in a better place with understanding what my body needs and also cooking for myself, not because it's a professional thing, but because I want to just integrate food and pleasure into my life in ways that feel organic and like on my own time. Mm. Um, so aside from bulking, it's, it's like from a place of self-care and love, which is also bulking. Anyway, the point being is um, my meal prep is usually Sunday or Monday. I, I have stopped taking meetings on Mondays and just have that day to kind of just like sort my stuff out because usually I'm like either, um, I just need two days back to back really to, to like really get in the groove and feel like I've done things I need to do for myself versus being stuck answering emails and stuff, which I do a lot of. Um, and so for me, it's like, go to the farmer's market on a Friday or Saturday, make a little list. I'll write it. I even, I make a chart. I tape it to my wall. Wow. Um, and I, I record every single thing that I eat um, and just plan out like starches, proteins, fiber, vitamins, et cetera, throughout the week. That's really cool. And I imagine that might be useful to you in your own recipe development as well to have some kind of record of what you've been eating in your own time. Does it ever translate? Yeah. And you know what? I, a lot of what I was doing in my early time um, cooking, like when I started Yardi, was um, a lot of sort of like restaurant-driven food. Like it felt like it had to be of a certain echelon and tier. Um, and so now I'm kind of thinking more about like, I'm I'm a person, I have a full-ass job. What, what's going to make me feel good today? What can And also what can I accomplish in my capacity that I have today? Because I think that's a big question. It's like, I love food, but like, I don't actually have as much time as I want to when it comes to like doing things for myself. So just making that, making those steps accessible for myself has been a really nice lesson in what I guess the rest of the world has always been kind of doing, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think like as someone that cooks for myself, like there may be three or four things that I make very often and none of them are on any level compared to what I make for another person. And something I've been thinking about is like, how do I cook for myself as if I was cooking for 
somebody that I love, which like I do love myself, totally. but I also love making a quesadilla for lunch every day. And like, totally. maybe I should be doing something a little more than that. You know, I love a quesadilla. Yeah. What's your go-to cheese? Mm. I mean, I love like a squeaky Oaxacan cheese. Mm. Um, and I also really like um, American cheese. Yeah. <laughs> but not on my quesadillas. No. No. I do like a, it's not very traditional, but just like a sharp white cheddar, I think is mm. a good like base cheese for a quesadilla. Delish. And then I will put in if I have like leftover kale or something, they all just go into the quesadilla. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a vehicle for eating something else too normally. Totally, totally, totally. So yeah. I, and my meal prep kind of looks like that too. It's like yeah. what what is going to be the vehicle for just making sure I, I meet my food group needs and feel like I'm treating myself well at the same time. Yeah. And I'm happy we're talking about wellness and food because something that we've worked on together previously is when I was at Bon Appetit, you did the Feel Good Food Plan for Healthy-ish in mm -hmm. 2021, which was like one of my favorite ones ever. And I think that like this idea of like what is like healthy-ish food or how are you nourishing yourself in a way that is exciting and inspiring to me is something that all of your food kind of naturally does. And I'm curious, like, do you think about, obviously we're talking about in your own life, getting like your starches and your veggies and everything, but when you're developing in general, like, are you operating from a perspective of wellness or from something else entirely? Mm. Well, that's a good question. I feel like I have had to really expand my understanding of what, what wellness means to me on my own terms because I think that you can think about it from a nutritional standpoint, um, which is empirical and scientific, but then also there is wellness that has to do with history and place. Mm. Um, I think that for me, wellness for probably my whole entire life has really been about exploring and finding ways to come into a better relationship about where I come from um, and the sort of friction between uh, what history says I am and can do with, with food and where that then goes into the future. And I think that's really what my whole practice as a chef or a cook is about is um, really trying to bridge those gaps. So, so to answer your question in maybe more practical way, it's like, you know, when I think of wellness, it's I'm well because I'm taking the time to learn and discover ways to, to honor myself and my history, but also pushing that forward too. Um, while also being like, I'm a, I'm a human, I have a body, I need to energize. I need to rest properly. Like that's also wellness for me as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that wellness like doesn't even mean anything as a word. And so it's kind of a, like a, a dangling question that I'm giving to you because I think it, it means something different to everyone. And certainly yeah. there are a lot of places that have made a lot of money on saying that wellness is like a kale salad when that's not the only form of wellness that is out there. Totally. In terms of what you're you're speaking about, like connecting with your heritage and your background and centering that in your food and pushing it forward, have there been any projects or recipes that you've done recently that um, you feel are doing a good job of that? So my whole entire last year, for the most part, was spent outside of New York. I would say the ratio of New York to outside of New York was like 75, 25. Yeah. Do you feel like on Instagram, I saw you in like <laughs> warm places when I was not warm? No, exactly. It started, and actually it's funny, it started uh, last year this time because I had gone to Jamaica with my family for my 30th birthday. Um, and going there with them was really special for me because it was the first time in my adult life that we were all there together going to my mother's family home and then also going to see, um, her, her father had passed away during the, during the pandemic, he got COVID. Um, and 
it was a way for us to kind of acknowledge that moment with her too. And in that moment, I realized how important it was to be in a Caribbean place. Um, I think I think my understanding and my respect for it has grown so much now that I'm in my adult life and now that I I'm trying to have more nuanced conversations around food and place and people and work on these projects. So the whole of last year was really about being able to explore the region, um, you know, Jamaica, uh, even like Central America too, because there's so many food ways that are um, Mm -hmm. a part of, a part of that as well. Um, So yeah, it was, it was really eye-opening for me. Yeah. That sounds really special. And I'm I'm glad you had time with your family there as well. Um, And you also were shooting High on the Hog last year, jumping ahead a little bit, right? Did you shoot that last year or it came out last year? It, I shot it last year. I'm pretty sure. Like what is time? (laughs) What was that like for you? Um, It was really scary, actually. Hmm. It was really scary for me because I, I love food. You know, I love food and I love history, but if I'm being completely transparent, oftentimes I doubt if I'm the right person just because there's so many incredible people who have come before me who are, who've been telling these stories. And so I kid you not, like I spent so many nights and so many lunch breaks and so many conversations with friends, even talking, like talking to Dr. Jessica B. Harris or even Steven Mm. working on the project being like, what do I do? What's that? Like, how do I tell this story properly? Um, I invested in a lot of like time training to to do it well because I wanted to honor those stories well. Um, and so when I'm talking about uh, black women in media, when I'm talking about um, being able to like adapt recipes into something that feels like it honors both the, the past and the future, it was because I wanted to, to be really good, you know, and because there would be so many people who I knew who look like me who are watching this show, you know? So I wanted to show up for my community. I wanted to show up for myself and I wanted to show up for the history of, of the, of the people that we were honoring too. Definitely. And after all of the work and prep and filming was done, how did you feel about the result? What was it like when you watched it? I felt really good. And actually it was nice because I I went home, um, and watched it with my parents for Thanksgiving. And the, the, the part about it that actually made me really happy was because they um, showed a photo of my dad and me when we were younger. Um, and so my dad's also on Netflix, which is kind of really cool. Um, and it just it just felt really good because I know that, I mean, from a personal standpoint, just to like zoom in a little bit, like, you know, my parents are my heroes. I love them so much. They have given me so much when it comes to understanding food and where I come from in place. And to see them smile and laugh at something that I was doing and to share that with their friends who are just going about their days, um, taking care of their family, going to work or whatever, you know, the fact that they really care and they're championing, not what I do because they're Jamaican, but because they love and care about me. is just like really, really special. So I, I loved being able to bring that to them. Yeah. It's so sweet. Cause I imagine like so many people were watching that with their families around Thanksgiving anyway, yeah. and you were having that exact same yeah. experience, but it's you guys both on TV. Totally. Oh, totally. I love that. Yeah. And that's how I started too. Like the the reason why I started cooking is because I would be, you know, in bed, like on a Sunday with my mom as a kid watching cooking shows all day. And then by the time dinner happened, we were like, which recipe we're going to do, you know, it yeah. was, it was such a part of, um, how we bonded. And so to be able to give that back to them, it feels just so incredible. Full circle. Yeah. What, what shows were you and your mom watching? Oh, the list goes on. It's such a long list. Um, <laughs> Martha, Jada Loretta, um, the big Emerald, ones. Yeah. 
Bobby. I would watch like Iron Chef, but the Japan version mm, with my dad. And I remember yeah. the first time I saw him just chomp into a bell pepper. Oh. If it was an apple. I was like running to the kitchen, like grabbing a bell pepper, okay. biting into it. Can I just say that I am so attracted to that man? Yeah. I mean, the drama alone when he's chomping oh. in, it's like the juice is running down it's his so chin. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> He's so hot. I should be careful what I say. Yeah, it was so, that's so fun. Uh, And also I feel like your parents, I remember hearing about how they would throw kind of like legendary parties growing up. And I feel like that must have informed your own like dinner party trajectory as well. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because if you ask my mom about it, she's just deeply annoyed by the whole process because she'd be like, okay, another party again. Um, But yeah, so the backstory about that, I'll keep it as brief as possible, is my grandfather, my uncle, and my dad were all DJs. And when my So sick. Right. And so when my when my parents uh sorry, when my dad immigrated to the US specifically in Flatbush, my grandfather would host these basement parties for people to come down to the basement and play dominoes and drink red st- red stripe and it was so major and everyone wanted to be a part of it and he had created this community and they would also have block parties they became um members of the block party association and would just have the whole community come and just eat food that really reflected where they came from um but also just like things that they like to eat in general you know um, there was curry goat and oxtail and ton of fucking gravy. Oh, shouldn't sorry, a ton of gravy okay. and you can swear. <laughs> <laughs> and jerk chicken and all these you know these these delicious amazing uh, Jamaican things that made them feel connected to where they came from. Yeah, I think it's really special. And um, you know, like I first got to know you through your work throwing dinner parties with Yardi, and now you do so many things, including that. And I'm curious, like how having this background in throwing dinner parties and pop-ups, which are very community-based, impacts like all the different kinds of work that you do now. It's funny because I feel like I'm only just starting to understand what I do and why I care about it. Um, I think that I do consider myself a chef, but I think by and large, maybe like I'm an entrepreneur who like loves food. Um, I love I love a project based thing. Um, maybe it's my Aries moon that makes it so that I always want to start something. <laughs> the astrology podcast is popping out. <laughs> yeah, the energy and fire in that. Yeah, and, and also too, it's you know, um, in every section of food, whether it be tied to food policy or wellness and diet or. Um, restaurants, hospitality, hotels, um, making products, there's a challenge connected to people and a need correct, connected to those people. So for me, when I think about food, I'm always just like, what, like, what is at the heart of making this experience better for someone, right? And in that way, hospitality isn't just about where you go and eat. It's about how food comes into your life in general. Mm. Um, and also how how that is connected to this idea of being of service to someone. Um, and so for me, you know, if it's, if it's hosting a dinner party or giving a lecture, being on a panel or making food videos for people to cook from, um, and watch at home that are just entertaining, like it all feels like a way to get people excited about what they can do for themselves. Um, and that makes me excited. Yeah, I really love that. And you mentioned products a little bit earlier. And one of the things you've been working on is this snack mix with Yardy World. So I'm curious, like to you, what is the ultimate snack mix? And how did you go about developing something that was going to be made at scale and distributed? 
Well, it actually started with our events. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were making different dishes for this hotel event that we were doing. And we had all of these leftover sort of like bits of like nuts, coconut, uh, banana chips. um, And we were just like, we got to we got to move this, yeah. you know, sometimes it's like, we've got to move. And sometimes that's how it is. Yeah. No, literally. And sometimes that's how the best dishes become a thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's how do I translate this into something that's just like magical and delicious that people want to eat. Um, and so me and my, uh, culinary manager, uh, culinary lead at the time were in the back and, you know, he was like, Oh, I have like these things. And then I was like, well, what if we toss the banana chips you know it just it just was a, a organic thing that we were just trying out and then people really loved it you know people were actually kind of upset in a scary way like obsessed with it mm. um and in the back of my mind too if i'm going to make something it's got to it's got to tell a story it's got to be connected to something that feels larger than life um because why like why do something if you're not going to put your whole self in it um and i started i was also reading all about like uh, just how the CPG space was changing around the time of the pandemic, but also just thinking about um, how Jamaica, you know, a- as a former colony of uh, the UK was still in a lot of ways in service or in servitude to the IMF and the World Bank because of debt, because of uh, these agreements they created in the 60s and 70s. It was just like, I'm like, okay, well, well, what is there a way that we can create something that is emblematic of this place that we can get farmers involved or get people involved in, in creating in that process? And the snack mix seemed really cool because, you know, it's like with dinner parties, you get to have so many people there. But when you're doing something like food media or you're doing something that's like a packaged good and you are in all these different stores or people can order from you online, you're like sending a part of yourself out into the world, it feels like, you know. Um, and so my whole goal for this this current year that we're in is to find ways to make sure that those through lines between, you know, the supply chain, where we're sourcing from, the the sort of economics of, of scale all kind of makes sense in terms of, of making this product come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, the cool thing too is like I went to art school, right? So I love design. I love what design can do when, when it talks about symbolism and representation. So all those factors kind of made me really excited because it was like, oh, this product could really be a stand-in or, or represent all these different aspects of my creativity um, and my love for where I come from. Um, and so this is a long story for saying we have this really sick stack mix that people so should definitely order. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, a, it's a great story. And I think that when you're an inter when you're an interdisciplinary person, having a project that lets you flex those different muscles is really exciting because a dinner party is like one of the most interdisciplinary things there is. There's obviously the food, but then there's like the whole space that you're creating and the soundtrack and what you're wearing and who else is there and Obviously, all totally. of those variables are different for a packaged good, but I think like the good packaged goods still have those things in common. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you went to art school. Did you study performance art? Is that true? I did for a time. Um, I went. I moved to New York thinking that I was going to be a painting and drawing major. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out that um, because actually when I moved to New York, this is around the same time that Occupy Wall Street was really big and large in effect. And so I would literally be sitting... Um, in my dorm room and hear people just like yelling, going down third Avenue. 
I was like, what's going on? And I would look out the window and there were just like people putting their bodies in the street in ways and spaces and places that I didn't, you know, I'm from Virginia. Like we don't, I don't, that wasn't happening when I was in high school. I didn't know anything about protests at all. Um, And so why that matters to my art background is because my practice then became about thinking about the body more. Performance was a way for me to really discover and cite the ways in which my body as a queer black person, queer black man specifically, um, is sort of interpolated into this really like crazy system of the world and assigned and ascribed all these different things that I never, I never agreed to (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, the history of food connects to that so well and, and high in the hog. And this is also why I signed on to that project too, because it was really about, you know, what is the history of what we're saying black people can do and can be in the world? And so for me, when I um, was halfway through art school, I was like, oh, performance feels like a really nice mechanism to talk about these things because it's it's so physical. It's so deeply emotional. There's, there's, there's also something very non verbal about it there's like something that language just doesn't quite get to when you think about uh like dance or something like that so um yeah performance became a really cool way to think about all the things i was already kind of questioning and learning about james baldwin and audrey lord and france fanon things like that definitely i i think performance art is the most for me personally like emotional art form that i interact with except for music maybe where like i've had the experience in performance piece more than anywhere else where I need to like lie down afterwards, you know, because yeah. my body has been, I guess, live theater, which is also performance. Totally. You're holding tight, like watching with somebody. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I think like as somebody that throws parties and has worked in restaurants and does pop-ups, I guess I'm interested if you think your performance background impacts the way you think about like creating a space or an energy associated with it. It does. Um, it does. I mean, you know, it's all about staging, when someone walks into a room, whether it be theater or uh, some type of live music event or dinner party or what have you, um, the space is charged. Um, in in is in is a simple way of thinking about it as like, do, who who do I know here? Right. Do am I gonna know any familiar faces? And who am I sitting next to? And who am I sitting and next? to? Is it to? those familiar faces? Yeah, exactly, exactly, and so. I think that when when I started doing projects with Yardy World, um, you know, I was thinking about who was in the room, um, what also what are some mechanisms of like collaboration that I could use to get people excited about being there. Yeah. Um, I had named the series I was doing the living room series because I was thinking about just being a young person sitting in living room with my aunts and uncles and just like listening to them have these very intimate kind of gossipy conversations. But at the same time, this energy of trying to recenter the home space as a space that was just as important as a restaurant space or a fine dining space, um, because that's where learning happened for me first. It wasn't, uh, I didn't go to uh, school for cooking. I didn't really have a formal cooking background. And so I was really trying to recenter these ideas of what we think of as um, chic or cool, Um, you know, because for me, the chicest, coolest people were my aunts and uncles. You know, Mm -hmm. they were, they were turning it out, you know. 
And and as you like read about the, I mean, the crazy thing is when you read about the history of how food happens in America or the world in general, it are it, it's always the people who are sort of put in the background and cast in the background who are really setting the tone for these ideas that we think are really chic and cool. Yeah. Um, is there an idea in your head right now? That of, of what that looks like? Yeah. Mm, let me think about it. Okay. Let me think about it. All good. It'll come to me. So like hypothetically, you're a dinner party guest. You're walking into someone's home. Yeah. What's a sign or something you're looking for where you're like, okay, everything's going to be lovely. This is going to be a good dinner party. Selfishly, a lot of it just starts with what I like because I think that my taste very rarely steers me wrong. And also if it's wrong, I love kind of emphasizing why something's bad. I think that's also like a really like chic thing to do. It's, you know, for like for me, I love um, video games like Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not that I want people to have a dinner party where it's specific to Magic the Gathering, but what I am doing as a chef, and I think what all good creators do is they say, what are the elements of this that make it so that people will feel as enchanted and as enamored as I feel like when I when I'm doing this thing intimately privately or whatever right yeah. so like for me it's you know is it the lighting is it a smell is it what you're wearing is it a performance that's happening is it an ingredient is it someone you're c- collaborating on the menu with you know there's there's just so much there's so many like fun like crayons to play with when it comes to putting together um any sort of event I, I just get excited about all of it um and it really opens up opens up the door for this like uh, for for a process of other people to get thinking about just how they spend their time in general, you know. Um, I I will say also because I don't want to like misconstrue my my motives. Like I love dis I love discomfort. I think it's really important to step outside of what you feel like you understand about something and come to it with a new sense of thoughtfulness. Even if you don't come away like loving it as much as I do it's still something that you're encountering. And that that feels really important to me. Yeah, I think that's like really nice to keep in mind as well. I think like my friends always make fun of me if I walk into a party and the overhead lights are on uh, and there's no music. Like, I, I don't know if I have like ADHD or what, but I find that very unsettling. Like I can't pay attention to what's happening totally. because I just feel so, I mean, I never have overhead totally. lighting on in my home apartment, but it just feels uh, I bad. Yeah. Right? To- 100%. 100%. Like, why does it feel so bad? <laughs> no, it, because it's like, you feel like you're being interrogated. Yeah. Wait, I thought about it answer to your question now. Oh, okay, tell me. Okay, so going back to music, mm-hmm. I think music is the best, the best way to think about this question of how culture starts from this sort of like underbelly community and then becomes proliferated, proliferated into this mainstream um, zeitgeist. But if you think about house or techno or rock music you know chicago detroit um rock music um and and also rock music's connection to gospel music um you know the the sort of polyrhythmic nature of of music today is inherently an african thing is inherently a black thing and as, i mean especially go, like coming to new york from a place like virginia and like being brought into a, a deeper relationship with music and going out all the time as I do. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. Like this is like a this is like a specific drum. This isn't just I mean I know it's I know we're saying it's techno where I know we're like all channeling Berlin in our heads, but 
But Berlin was channeling Detroit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned nightlife because I do. I was telling our producer, Shalia, before this, that whenever I see you, it's like, I don't know, <laughs> an hour I won't mention on this podcast. I'm feeling like dead. And I look across the dance floor and you look like you just rolled out of bed. Like you're so <laughs> perfect. And I never surprised to see you whenever I'm at like a really good set. I yeah, just yeah. feel like, oh, maybe I'll see Devon. And I think that like sometimes food people who don't necessarily go out or spend a lot of time in nightlife um, will ask me, like, especially with like Cakesy and like we do a lot of stuff with DJs. Yeah. Like we've done catering for raves before. And, and it just comes from a place that like I like all of these things. And I think that like it's just fun to do them. But I'm curious for you if like you see uh, nightlife and like cooking and restaurants as all kind of part of your same canvas or if they're kind of separate for you. I've kept them very separate for very long, and now I'm sort of percolating on ways to bring them together. <laughs> I, I, like, need you to, to – I don't know if you want to do this, but I would love for you to do catering for – like, set the menu for a club in the city or something. Literally. The options are just not – it's like, I want to have a smoothie, and I can't have a smoothie. They, they used to have smoothies nowadays, and they don't anymore. Yeah. Bring them back. I – and it's – you know what's funny? Because – when you go to something like Soul Summit, mm -hmm. and this goes back to my history, my family history of block parties, being able to have a good time and feel nourished go hand in hand for communities that have lived in places like Brooklyn, Detroit, Chicago, like for so, I mean, New Orleans for so long. It's not like we're going to go and let's just get wasted. Let's just be high or whatever. It's... There's something about a full body assessment that happens from head to toe that, you know, and again, this word hospitality for me is all encompassing. It's not just about I was served this really expensive thing. It's how do I feel about myself after I sat here with this person? Who and who was I sitting with? Mm. And tomorrow when I go to work, Am I still feeling those vibrations from the love, from the care, from the thoughtfulness, from being surprised at the music I heard, you know? And so for me, keep keeping them separate, I think, doesn't really do our city justice. I think that we live in such a beautiful place and there are so many talented people. And kind of what you're saying with the, the work you've done with the cake scene and being like, I'm going to have really great food that I care about. And I'm also going to be next to the DJs and the performances and the talent that I care about. It all, it's, it's world building. Mm -hmm. You know, when I go to Poppy Juice, they're constructing a world. Yeah. And you did like the a dinner for Pride last year for Poppy Juice, right? Up yes. On the roof. Yeah. We've done a, we've done a few food things with Poppy now. Um, and those are like, those are my sisters. Those are my girls for life because in the, and in the very same way that I was constructing or am constructing Yardy World because I, w I saw a gap in the type of hospitality, the type of culture, the type of pleasure that I wanted, finding spaces of nightlife that also reflected those ideals for me was really important too, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm thinking about um, the, the different... BPMs, the different cultural ties and places and spaces they're pulling DJs from different cities and different places around the world. You know, that's what they're doing. They're they're filling in the gap in ways that 
they didn't see in nightlife before, you know, and, and extending that care and extending that access, accessibility to people who also need that. People who need to see themselves reflected and represented in in more spaces than than there are right now, you know? Mm-hmm. So if for me, it feels special to have them together, to answer your question. Definitely. And looking ahead at the year, is there anything that you're working on or that's coming up that you're extra excited about? Yeah. Um, I am finally writing my cookbook. Hell yeah. Oh. You're in that stage. You're in like the grown stage. I'm like, oh my, only because, only because, you know, you see all your friends doing it and they're so good at it. And I'm like, damn, y'all are so good at this. I, I Everybody had, hates it, I would say. I, is hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm always texting Andy Baragani. Yeah. And I'm like, babe, how did you survive this process it, it's like having a i've never had a ch- child but i imagine it feels like having a child it's like you spend well two years plus just trying to get this book to like walk and to talk and to to have and to like re- reflect you right and your thoughts and you have a lot of yourself to reflect so oh, i'm God. sure there's a lot of going back and forth just keep so, going yeah no t- no totally it's exactly exactly this is the thing and this is the hardest part for me because i'm just like oh no who am I? Who am I today? You know, it's, and I, and, and God, like my, my 2024 resolution is trying to simplify and not beat myself up about things not being perfect. And also knowing that I can do all the ideas I want to, but I have to do them one at a time. So books are hard because they really call a different type of attention in, mm-hmm. you know, someone who maybe is like more project to project based like me. It's it's a little harder for me, but I'm really enjoying the process. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, you know, this is taste. So to close the episode today, I want to play a little like taste check with you. So I'll give you like a category and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. okay take a breath. We're good. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Uh, favorite cookbook. Oh, my God. Um. Um, uh, I'm currently reading Jessica B. Harris's cookbook. Okay. We'll take it. Okay. (laughs) Um, something you'll never make from scratch. Like not worth it. Um, bread. Mm. I'm being honest. I'm not one of them girls. It's okay. You have enough going on. (laughs) There's so many. Sorry, you keep going. There's so so much good bread. I'm like, shout out to people who are making it. I will buy it from you. I'm not making it. We we live in New York. We can go buy it. Literally. Okay. Your dream fictional dinner party guest. Oh my God. As in they they don't. They don't exist. Oh, they don't exist? Yeah. Oh shit. Well, who Um, did you think about like a historic, a dead person? Because I'd take that I have alive people, but it's fine. I won't talk about them. Um. (laughs) Tell, uh, tell me a live person and then okay. someone who's not on this um, earth for, uh, like, legibility or, like, life reasons. Okay. Um, ooh, okay. Uh, Viola Davis. Yes. If you're listening to this, please. And then fictional would probably be Storm from X. Okay, hot duo, honestly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, uh, the lowest effort, like, highest reward dinner party appetizer. This is just so stupid, like a bowl of fruits. Or like Yardy World snack mix. That's okay. I was, I was thinking lower. I was thinking. Well, you're lowest. not making it, right? Like you're someone else is buying it. Oh, okay. Yardy World snack mix. Yeah. Available in store near you. <laughs> like throwing that one over the plate. Um, okay. Your lowest effort, highest reward dinner party dessert. 
Lowest effort, highest reward, dinner party, dessert. A bowl of fruits. A bowl of fruit. <laughs> Your favorite New York City bar. Oh. Okay, right now it's Chino Grande. Mm. Because I can do karaoke after. Oh, okay. I haven't been still. What's your karaoke song? That's your next flashback uh, question. Oh, that's easy. That's uh, Ashley Simpson, Lala. No notes. Period. Favorite New York City bakery? Oh, well, it was Mel, but then they closed. Yeah, they did close. But Zoe Kanan is opening in that space. Oh. So there'll be another bakery around there. Then I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, your favorite New York City restaurant? Oh. Liza, why are you doing this to me? You can tell me too if you say them <laughs> fast. <laughs> um, you said fast. Okay. Um, Kopitiam, mm. always and forever. And then mm, who's Wonton King? Love them both. Okay. A restaurant that you wish could be your neighborhood restaurant. So it's not where you live. Oh my God. Just Cool in Jamaica. Whoa. They make pudding and toto and they tear. It's crazy. It's so delicious. Okay manifesting this for you thank you a party real or fictional that you wish you could attend so it happened or it's like was it a movie oh my god the red wedding from <laughs> from game of thrones game of thrones are you serious absolutely can you imagine you want to be in the back just watching i would watch yeah i would that was that scene shook Okay, that's not what I thought you were going to say, but I love that. You said rapid. I know. No, that's the beauty of it. You keep everyone guessing. I love it. People don't know how dark I actually am now. A fictional food scene that you wish you could eat. I really love everything that's happening in Julia right now. I just binged it. Oh, I haven't seen it still. I binged it and I want to be there with her every step of the way. Anything she's making. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to go watch Julia. Devon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me. I had such a good time. Hey, Eliza, it has been a minute. What is going on? Not much. You know, it's January. I'm just eating and reading and like that's kind of it. <laughs> About eating and reading. Two yeah. things we both like. Yeah, we haven't done a three things since last year, man. It's it's great to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you. I'm excited to hear what we've been up to. Yeah, we have some catching up to do. In this episode, we'll definitely do three things. But we got we got some other B segments we're planning. If you want to keep listening past the interviews, it's Eliza and I together. Hanging out. All right. What is your first thing? My first thing is that it was really cold over the weekend. And I don't know why I decided I needed flan to be like the thing that I really wanted, but that's what I wanted. And I got the flan at Nene's Taqueria in Bushwick, which is kind of known as a BDA destination, yeah. but I'd never had their flan before. And let me tell you, it hits. Wow. A flan is hard to, a good flan is hard to find. A good flan, which to me is creamy the whole way through. Great. It's jiggly, but it doesn't feel gelatinous. It hit all of those things. And it also had a really good kind of like dark amber caramel on top. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy about it. Let me ask you this. What is the flavor of flan? Well, I would say flan is like an egg custard and yeah. that's kind of this flavor, but I don't actually like eating eggs. So to me, yeah. it's not like eggy, but it has that kind of richness. And then obviously the caramel, I think, is bringing a lot of flavor the as caramel, well. The caramel, like that little pool that 
you know, drips down the side. Right. Which I don't really know. I should look into like, where does a creme caramel and yeah. a flan begin? Also when oh. I was in Paris, I've had things that are called flan that are not what I would associate with like the Mexican, like South American preparation of flan. Yeah. So maybe like to dig into in my free time. But it's, it's definitively an egg custard, though you don't like egg custard. You just kind of like close your eyes and eat it. Uh, I think if it's like well done, then it doesn't have that egginess. It just kind of has this richness. That is what I'm looking for. Have you used the flan emoji in the past? Um, I haven't but after today i definitely will yeah i think it's gonna be some fun emojis in your future definitely so what's your first thing i've got a restaurant to start and i think i've maybe mentioned it but i'm not sure i just want to i've revisited it it's called ari ari it's in the east village Hmm. it is definitely breaking news it is surpassed her name is han as my favorite hand hospitality restaurant in new york Hand Hospitality is famously the the restaurant group that runs many of the city's, I would say, most influential and cool uh, Korean-American restaurants. This includes Chodongo, Hanjuk Ban, um, and a couple other spots. And I and, I, and Take 31, of course, next door to Her Name is Han. So, but Ari Ari is really impressing me. And it's like top to bottom hits for me. Um, one thing that I had that I liked was this radicchio salad with kim and a, and a chili kim oil. Mm. It had like the perfect uh, dressing, like truly whatever this dressing is, like the perfect level of umami, which is a lot of umami. And it was it was so good. OK, I'm adding this to my Google map of staked <laughs> things as we speak. And, you know, I've been there a few times. I think the history is there. It's based on a, a concept in Busan, which is mostly seafood and, and bone broth Um it's two dishes that are well known in Busan, and and this uh, this place is like a satellite of it. But I, I think the other dish that I've had, and it's kind of an Instagram famous dish at this point, is albap, which is rice and fish roe. But what they do, and it's in a dulcet, which is in like a steaming hot. Uh, stone bowl and we know bibimbap like with stone bowl is the best one because it's fucking so good at the sakurat at the bottom but they put uni cream on the top wow yo so it's like kind of bubbling uni cream and then they do like little preparation uh you know by your table where they mix it and it's like yo i'll bop at ariari dish of the year for me so far Wow. I also was going to talk about fish row. So this Let's is go. thematic. What's your second? I went to a pop-up uh, on Sunday night that a friend was doing um, at her house. She is a cook here in the city. She is in between jobs, but about to start working at Contra and kind of using this time to do a new pop-up series. It's called Once. Um, her name is Ignacia Valdez and she is Chilean and she's doing kind of like Chilean uh, Japanese kind of food. Uh, and one of the dishes that was really good was this beautiful uh, leek that had like crispy shallots and fish roe on top Ooh. of it. And something about the sweetness of this leek with the umami and like kind of the popping acidity of the fish roe and the fried shallots. Everything was very special, but to me, I thought that was a really cool dish. You know, leek as a centerpiece is really, really smart. Yeah. You can do a lot with a leek. You can do a little with a leek, but when you do a lot with it, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I, I turned to her and I said, I mean this in the best way. This is giving me like sour cream and onion potato chips. Oh, yeah. Which she was happy about. Ultimate, so. ultimate, ultimate like uh, compliment there, I think. Yeah, so- that's like a perfect food. So she's on the opening. She's doing the new Contra. She's part of the new. She's part of the new Contra. Cool. Uh, and she is doing this series. You can look up 
on say NYC on Instagram. Cool. And it's not all in apartments. They're in different spaces around the city. I kind of got to do the friends and family apartment version. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was really fun. And like every dish was just really special and exciting. She did also this really special brioche buns, almost like a Parker House roll style with this butter that had peel peel in it, which is almost like a a Chilean Old Bay in terms of Ooh. this like uh, pepper, paprika heavy spice rub that's often used with seafood, but was being used in like butter and bread in that Amazing. application. Super fun. Love that. It's so smart. Mm -hmm. Love it. What's your next thing? Uh, I have a couple of books to come. So my next one is a book. It is called Priya's Kitchen Adventures, and oh. it's from our friend Priya Krishna. And um, it's a it's kind of a YA cooking book. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll describe it. But she wrote me a, a, a cool note last night, and I'll just quote her. I'd like to think of this as a prequel to Indianish, telling the story about how I got interested in food in the first place through travels with my mom, who worked in the airline industry. And anyone who's read Priya knows there's a lot of great bio, biographical tidbits in her writing. You know, she doesn't write traditional memoir, um, but because she, she's really such a deeply sourced reporter from the New York Times. But when she slides in some of this personal information, it's, it always is like the best for me, Priya Krishna writing. And I just can't wait to see um, where this book ends up. I have not received the PDF or I received the PDF. I haven't reviewed it, but... What it really struck me was that she had over 20 kids test the recipes. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned because I'm really excited about this book. And I do think it's really cool that there are recipes by kids, tested by kids, yeah. for kids. And I think that there are so many kids that love to cook uh, and having something that's just for them is really cool. Yeah, I, I really, I enjoy Priya's writing so much and I can't wait to have her on the podcast. She would be a three-timer. She might be our first three-timer, so. She deserves it. She's the best. All right, what's your next one? My last one is just a PSA that I think the pomelos are really hitting in New York <laughs> right now. And I think pomelo is like an underrated citrus for some folks. I know that it's, there's a lot of peel and pith to cut a through. Lot. They can be on the larger Those side. Peas, man. But they're so... A good pomelo for me is just perfect. And I got a really good one at Food Bazaar recently and it just kind of like made my day. So it's cool that you say that because I always I like getting pomelos in, in California, um, like in January and February. It's yeah. like, it's a real treat to be in California. It's and citrus season. It's citrus season. So I've never actually had a good one in New York. So Well, cool. I had like mixed hopes, I would say, because I don't want to get too excited. But I, I had to immediately like text three people because I was so happy about the pomelo. And I don't know if I've talked about my love for Food Bazaar on this show before. No, you haven't. I don't know this place. Oh, I could have a whole episode just about it. It's a grocery chain. It's run by a Korean family and they specialize in like having like cultural foods from like different oh. communities, like based on where they are. And the one in Ridgewood that I go to is truly like they have fresh mame, they have fresh yuca, they have like guanabana, they have fruits that I've never seen oh, in America yeah. that they have. Um, and it's just like really cool to go grocery shopping. Well, I know about your love of exotic fruits having gone on that trip to Florida. Yeah, I do have, I would say, all kinds of fruit. Um, but yeah, everything about Food Bazaar is like if you need anything, probably they have it there. And yeah. also it's like the only grocery store that I go to regularly where like my default is just to speak in Spanish because that's just like the way that the whole store is operating. And um, I don't know. I just think like one of the fun things about going to New York is going to different grocery stores. So my PSA to everyone is that if you're <laughs> by a Food Bazaar, it might not be the same as one that I go to. But the mission of this family is that they are providing all of these different cultural foods. The man who ran it. Clearly, I went into their like Wikipedia. I know you clearly have a I'm lot of fascinated. 
I want to write about it because I think it's really cool. And it's run by this Korean guy who spent a lot of time in Argentina and yeah. then came to the United States and noticed that there wasn't a lot of like Latino or Asian grocery products available. So let's talk about framing. Just kidding. We, we, yeah, we, I know. we don't Later. need to do an edit meeting on the Honestly, on the Clayton, you can cut this if yeah. we're talking about food are too long. But <laughs> Please don't cut it. I love it so much. I think it's really cool. All right. So can I do a, can I do a 3B? Yes. All right. So the sumos, mandarins, are hitting in Orange County, New York, where I live. And I'm, I'm saying that as kind of a joke because it's obviously not a hotbed for for fruit. But I think right now, if you get a really nice sumo mandarin in your sights, give it a shot. The sumos, I think people like because they're really easy to peel and yeah. they're very sweet. I prefer a cara cara orange. Me too. Because I think they have a little bit more tartness, but they are not as portable of an orange. 100%. If you have a knife and you're and you're handy with it or you, you you're a good peeler by hand, Kara Kara is all the way. Fully agree. I'm not one of those people. I just like need these like very big tactile, you know, bulbous things. Have you ever supremed an orange? I have, but I don't do it regularly. I think for me, like it's not worth it and I might as well just take the fiber. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I like doing it if I feel bored and I want to like flash my newly sharpened knife. That's when I'll do it. Um, but when you go to like a fancy like restaurant or get like fancy breakfast fruit bowl and you see Supremes in there, I'm like, man. They're going for it. Somebody has some knife skills. Yeah. I think the bottom line is that one of the best parts of winter, to me, one of the only good parts of winter is eating citrus. So it's a good time to be doing it. (laughs) So besides Sumos, what's your last thing? My last is another book that we are publishing here. I'm really excited about it. It's from Ali Stafford. It's called Pizza Night, Deliciously Doable Recipes for Pizza and Salad. I've had a copy of this book for a while, and I just love it. I think, you know, Ali is, um, runs the popular blog Alexandra's Kitchen and wrote this terrific book, I would say like maybe six, seven years ago, Bread Toast Crumbs. Really, really fantastic book. And I love the way that Ali is thinking about pizza, but in a way of like truly making it at home for your family or your friends. And she does a Detroit style pizza for a crowd, a classic margarita and a winter white pie with garlic garlic and herbs. Now, I think that there are a lot of pizza books, Eliza. And like, I'm not like down with all of them. And I think it's kind of, a, we'll call it an overpublished category. That's what they say in the industry a little bit. But this one really, really, really delivers on the promise, which is pizza at home for like a non-professional. And, you know, we have been doing a lot of pizza on the podcast, so I'm not surprised that this <laughs> is on your mind. Yeah, it's definitely, we, we did the, we had the pros a couple weeks back last week, and now we're going to have this at home version. And I think it's just a terrific book and you should check it out. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for catching up, Eliza. Anytime. This is Taste is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Eliza Abarbanel. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things happening.